One year ago this month, U.S. democracy nearly crumbled thanks to a domestic terrorist threat from Trump supporters and mob rioters who tried to subvert the will of the people and overturn a democratically fair and free election. And one year after one of the most shameful and depressing days in American history, six and ten Americans say democracy remains in crisis, which were the findings of a new NPR and Ipsos poll. This sentiment is mostly felt by Republicans who believe by a clip of 64% that the election wasn't duly decided and Joe Biden didn't legitimately win. So the question becomes, how do we race to save democracy before it's too late? Kimberly Allen is one of the co-founders of Power the Vote, an organization which is working to ensure that every vote is counted and every win is certified. She joined me this week to have a discussion about the state of American democracy and what we must do at this critical hour to preserve it in this sequential and appreciable moment in American history. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Thank you so much, Kevin. I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. Now, Kim, I know that uh, at Power of the Boat, you do a lot of important work when it comes to making sure that all votes count and that all wins are certified. So I'm wondering if you can tell me all about the important work that you do when you get up in the morning. Yeah, I'd love to. So myself and the other co-founders of Power the Vote in 2020 were the directors of the voter protection program at the Democratic Party of Georgia. And the work we did there, you may be familiar with, but typically these voter protection programs have a hotline and a poll watching program, a ballot cure program that helps voters who voted by an absentee ballot make sure that those votes get counted. Um, I ran a ballot monitoring program, which sent volunteers to elections offices to ensure that votes got counted in the right way. And when there was a disputed ballot, some question as to how the voter intended to vote, that those votes got counted in the appropriate way under Georgia law. So we organized an extensive program in Georgia, and that program 
made the margin of victory for Joe Biden in the general and for the Senate runoffs as well. Um, we took 130,000 calls on our hotline in seven languages. We helped 15,000 voters in the general election cure their absentee ballots. And we deployed 12,000 volunteers statewide in all 159 Georgia counties to fight for voters in polling places and elections offices. Um, so it was a hugely consequential program. You know, we woke up on January 6th, really elated at the promise of a blue Senate, only to watch in dismay as the Capitol was breached. And we knew that this fight for democracy was not over. We also looked around and saw that all but four states had completely lost their voter protection programs after the 2020 cycle. And that's the typical model for voter protection programs. The Democratic Party of Georgia was the first state party in 2018 to have a permanent year-round voter protection program. And it's a completely different model that's based in relationships at the local level with elections officials, with volunteers, with progressive activists, with the county democratic committees. And so, and we drew a direct line to our success in Georgia to the fact that that program was in place, which allowed the program to, to mature and to be more sophisticated and to have better knowledge and awareness and, and work strategically at the local level. So we founded Power of the Vote to do two things. One is to fund permanent year-round voter protection programs in battleground states. And we're starting in five states, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, Arizona, and Florida. And then we wanna provide those teams with expertise and support so that they can replicate the model that we helped create in Georgia, this kind of permanent year-round voter protection model. So that's what we do just in a very brief synopsis, but there's a lot more I could tell you about that model of voter protection and what it looks like in practice. Yeah, absolutely. And Gail, as you know, we just, came up on the anniversary of January 6th. And, you know, uh, nationally, voting rights continues to be a problem in terms of, of making sure that everyone has the access and free access to vote. So uh, I'm curious to ask you about how worried you are about voter suppression around the country. Yeah, well, so I see voter suppression as encompassing two sort of separate but different ideas. One is that there's the voter suppression we're familiar with, which is you know state legislators or political actors who try to set barriers up and, and hurdles to voting for voters. Um, and I think that's becoming very, very common. It certainly is happening in Texas and in Georgia and in other places. Um, and I see that as being a very serious problem. But then there's another um, sort of different component to voter suppression, which is um, ineffectual election administration. And, and that can be well-intentioned people at the local level who don't uh, don't have policies in place to have enough polling places or, or polling hours that are accessible for voters, um, or they put Dropbox, Dropbox locations in places that are inconvenient for voters, you know, things like that. We had a lot of problems in Georgia that stemmed from um, those kinds of mishaps. Uh, you know, so for example, the election equipment goes down, there aren't enough poll books, um, the equipment is difficult to set up and it leads to late poll openings and long lines. You know, there's a lot of that that happens. And, um, and so we at Power of the Vote are concerned with both of those things. At the end of the day, we know that intentional voter suppression is really targeted 
at Democratic voters and in particular voters of color. And the idea is to prevent them from exercising their right to vote and having their voice heard in our democracy. And so we think that there's an intentional need for, for programs that target these barriers to voting, some of which are systemic and some of which are particular to these voters. And if we can help voters overcome these barriers, then I think we can win elections and make a difference in our democracy. But that's really an, an, a critical and important piece. You know, uh, I, you started this in Georgia and certainly the late uh, Congressman John Lewis was all about voting rights, as you know. Uh, his uh, voting rights Advancement Act is stalled in the Senate. So I'm curious to ask you about the inaction on the federal level and whether you have any optimism that that act in particular is going to pass. I have hope, you know, but I wouldn't call hope optimism. <laughs> I, you know, I would say hope is a sort of, it's an intentional focus on, on progress and moving forward. <laughs> and I, the, but the bottom line is, you know, we're not putting all of our eggs in this basket. Uh, you know, the federal legislation will be what it is, and it's certainly out of my hands personally. But what I can do is organize at the local level to ensure that election administration is fair and equitable for voters. And so we have the vote approach this landscape as um, as you know we will work with whatever the legal landscape is and we can mobilize around it I mean Georgia in 2020 was was ranked nationwide as, as perhaps the second most difficult place to vote after Texas so it's not like it was easy in Georgia in 2020 but we were able to mobilize and organize around it to make sure that voters could have their voices heard so that's really where our focus is is you know, we'll let Congress do what it does. Um, and we hope and we think the pressure needs to stay on and the Senate needs to do its job. But at the end of the day, we're not left without tools in our toolkit. There's more that we can do regardless of what happens in the Senate. Now, you had mentioned the areas of the country where part of the vote is expanding. And you also mentioned before that there are other uh, things that you're looking to do to help people uh, protect the right to vote. So I'm wondering uh, the expansion plan for power of the vote and all the good stuff that you're working on uh, currently as well. Yeah, so we're starting in five states, um, the five states that I mentioned, and our plan is to fund voter protection staff who will work on the ground to organize locally in communities all over the state. And it's important that these be statewide voter protection programs. We're not just focused on the cities and suburbs, which is often where historically voter protection programs have been focused, but we're also focused on rural voters as well. And that's for a really important reason. Georgia taught us that rural voters are particularly important and rural democratic voters carried the Senate as it happens. They turned out at numbers that exceeded their their margins for Joe Biden. And so we're, we feel very strongly that it's important that we fight for voters statewide. Each of our five target states has significant populations of voters of color in rural counties. And so um, our goal is to put uh, organizers who will work with these with folks in these communities with progressive activists with elections officials with other stakeholders um, to ensure that policies are in place that expand voter access also to ensure that we we get people appointed as election supervisors or as board of election members at the local level or in some cases like in texas you can appoint um, uh, presiding judges who are in charge of polling places so we want to make sure every single one of those roles is filled by someone 
who is pro-voter, who's not an election denier, and who's going to ensure that election administration is fair and equitable. So that's that's where our, our target is for now. We'll see what happens after 22, but if we can do that, I think we'll be on very good footing to and have basically the, the infrastructure in place so that when the election times come in November, we've got an architecture so that voters can get help when they need help. Hey, Kim, I also wanted to ask you about uh, voter engagement and the importance of making sure that people are engaged and excited about uh, participating in the democratic process and how you make sure that they're confident that their votes are going to be counted and that their voices will be heard. Absolutely. That's incredibly important. I will say one of the most common questions we got in 2020 on our hotline in Georgia was folks who were calling in and saying, should I vote in person or should I vote absentee? How will I know that my vote gets counted. And of course, our answer then was vote however you can. <laughs> make sure you vote, make sure that that happens. But our answer to them was also, we're here. We've got eyes on this process. I had volunteers in every elections office in all 159 counties as they were processing the absentee ballots to make sure that they got counted in the right way and that there was integrity to this process. And I think an important thing that we can do to ensure that our voters have confidence is that we that we do that, that we organize, we have volunteers, we have eyes on the process, and then we can ensure voters that yes, this process has integrity. You know, democracy is just like currency. If you have no confidence in a currency, the currency is going to collapse. If we have no confidence in our democracy, our democracy is going to collapse. And I think there is a crisis of democracy, not just on the Republican side, but also on our side. And so we can't let the threats to our democracy lead us to despair. We have to continue to engage in this process. We have to continue to vote and have our voices heard. Um, and then you have to trust, of course, that, that you know the Democratic Party, that all these volunteers, 12,000 volunteers in Georgia, thousands of volunteers across the country are going to catch you and make sure that your vote gets counted. You know, If we can have that in place, I think we can give voters the assurance that they need. And Tim, when you look at on the other side of the aisle, and certainly uh, you can make the argument that uh, President Trump has a stranglehold on the Republican Party, but more broadly, I'm, I'm curious to get your, your thoughts on when you have a one major political party who wants to uh, sort of embrace misinformation and try to slant uh, the discussion a certain way that isn't based on facts. How hard is it then to uphold the rule of democracy, I'm curious? Yeah, I, I think it's important that all sides that everyone have a commitment to democracy. I mean, it's one of the fundamental things that our democracy depends on is that we have these norms in place that support our democracy. This is one of the things that I'm concerned about. And I think it's something that legislation can't fix on its own. You know, the, if, if we have legislation in place that says you have to certify elections, uh, at the end of the day, it requires that the person whose job is to certify the elections, that they adhere to those norms, that they adhere to the law, and that they do their jobs, so that we don't have a constitutional crisis at the end of the day. So it's incredibly important. You know, I think there is a, a number of Republicans who are 
um, election deniers and who are working to undermine this process, but the election deniers are still an incredibly small minority of the American population. They're well organized, but they're still an incredible minority. And so I do hope that we can turn this ship around and that we can ultimately um, come together as folks who, who, you know, who have that commitment to democracy. I hope that it transcends and it does transcend party um, and it should transcend party. You know, I'll say at Power of the Vote, we're working through the Democratic Party to get the, the job done, but that's because it's been overly politicized, you know, voting has been. So, um, but it is nonpartisan and I, and I do hope that we can come together and support our democracy. And Tim, as you know, this year's an election year. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on what you're most hopeful for and what you are most uh, worried about as we approach uh, the midterm elections. So one of the things that gives me enormous hope is the fact that um, that that people are coming around to the idea of the importance of the boring but essential functioning of our democracy, the infrastructure, the stuff that's not particularly exciting, but you know, counting those ballots, putting them through the scanner, making sure that that gets done. Um, I think people are, are, are realizing that we can't just assume that everything is going to work the way that it should work. And so there's an increased focus on local elections, um, whether that be local political posts, secretary of state races, um, election board races, and things like that. Um, and it has encouraged people to get involved at the local level. I see that as an incredibly important important thing and something that should have happened anyway, but it's great that it's happening now. Um, the thing that I'm most concerned about is this, this issue of, of people following, you know, into despair. And I think um, if we if we despair, then really it would all be lost, but it's not all lost. You know, there's still so much that we can do to protect the vote and to make sure that our democracy works the way that it should. So one of my messages to folks is, you know, don't get mad, like get motivated, get mobilized, get out there. There's so much work to be done. Um, and we at Power the Vote are trying to take concrete steps, work on the ground and do something tangible to help impact our democracy. Yeah, and you had uh, brought up state and local elections. And when you look at state legislatures, there are some, uh, particularly in the South that are trying to make it harder uh, to access voting uh, and suppress the vote in some ways so that Republicans, again, can be slanted in more favor. So I'm also uh, wondering your thoughts on, on state legislatures and the role that they're play, playing in this voter discussion as well. Yes, so um, at least 34 voter suppression bills have been enacted into law in 2021, and essentially those those bills are motivated by the big lie, the idea that uh, that our democracy didn't function, that the that the win was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020, um, and I think that's that's obviously incredibly concerning. Um, some of these laws, um, you know, copycat off of certain provisions in Georgia, which do make it harder for voters to vote. Um, you know, I, I think we'd rather see a trend going the other way where, where it's easier to vote. It's easier to engage in our democracy. I hope we come around to that. And certainly we're also seeing some, some bluer states who have, who have come around to saying, yes, it shouldn't be this hard to vote. We should make it easier for people to vote. New York is a state where in some ways it's harder to vote. You know, New York has a law that also would prevent handing out water bottles to voters just like Georgia has now. 
So, um, so you know, there's an awakening to this need for uh, for making voting more accessible to voters, and I think that's important. But yes, we are seeing some some state laws enacted that are targeted at making it harder to vote. I do think that's a real concern. And what is it the biggest lesson on January sixth taught us about the fragile state of our democracy? Yeah, I think January 6th showed us that we can't take our democracy for granted, that um, that certainly if we if we sit on the sidelines, we're not it's not going to go well for us. Um, I think it was a it was a it was a marriage of two things. It was a marriage of a triumph of democracy, which we saw from, you know, from voters having their voices heard in Georgia and then also the crisis of, of having the Capitol breached. So I, I think there's there's a. Um, little bit of a terrifying takeaway in terms of, of, of how fragile our democracy really is, that it depends on every single one of us doing our part and that we can't take it for granted. And when we look at young people, I'm also fascinated to ask you about getting them involved in wanting to run for office, you know, when they turn on the TV, depending on what station you watch, you can get a very a distorted view of the world, uh, depending on the, the news network you watch. So what is the, is the key to getting uh, young people both engaged in the process and excited about running for office? Yeah, so I think there's there's several things that should happen. I mean, first, we want to get young people engaged in our democracy generally. And a big part of that is showing them how to vote and getting them sort of, you know, habituated to the idea of voting and understanding how it works. I mean, for someone who's voting for the first time, it could be a really daunting process. Um, and so one of the cool things, Dallas County, uh, here I live in Texas, Dallas County has this really great program where it, where it brings in high school students to be clerks at polling places during elections, which gets them exposed to the voting process and helps them, uh, you know, see what it, what it is and how it works, um, which you hope gets these students more involved and more likely to vote going forward. So get them engaged in, in the first instance. Second, there are a lot of great groups like Run for Something, which are encouraging people to run for office, starting at the local level, you know, their local school boards, whatever, you know, dog catcher, whatever it may be. I think that's a great strategy. And then you have to marry that with voter protection, right? Because it's not enough to engage and turn out voters and get people involved in the process and have them run for office, but you also have to ensure that voters are able to have their votes counted and that those election wins get certified. So if you can give, if you can basically give support to these candidates and to these voters by having a robust voter protection program in place, a locally based statewide voter protection program, I think you're gonna see better success in these races at the local level. Because as you know, of course, voter suppression disenfranchises voters. That inevitably has an outcome on the results of the election because it prevents voters from having their voices heard. That's more likely to impact these local races than it is a statewide race. Um, so one of the key things at this local level is making sure we get every single one of those votes counted. Every single one of those voters is able to actually vote at the end of the day. If we do that, I think we're going to see a lot of success. Yeah, absolutely. I have a few more questions for you. And the first one has to do with the Electoral Count Act. And uh, I know it's an old law, and I, I know it, it's a bit of an archaic law, but do you think it, it needs to be reformed or modified in uh, any way to help accelerate or expedite uh, uh, 
people's assurance that their vote will be counted? Yeah, so, you know, I think at the end of the day, we transitioned power a year ago because people in power like Mike Pence ultimately felt constrained to do the right thing, regardless of what the law said. I think he was also advised that the law constrained what he could do, um, which is really important and very helpful. But I think our democracy holds together because of the norms behind it, because of the norm of a peaceful transition of power, because of the idea that the person who wins the election should ultimately be put in, in power and, and you know, allowed to do the work. So you know, it's, it's those norms that are under attack. And I, I don't necessarily see legislation as a one-stop fix to that problem. That said, I, I'm, and I apologize, I've got a dog here, it must be a mailman coming by. But, <laughs> but I, I, think, I think a legislative fix is certainly appropriate. Um, and, but at the end of the day, it's the norms that we have to fix. And then we also have to ensure, a big part of those norms is ensuring that the folks who are instilled in election administration roles at the local level are also doing their jobs because we can't just, you know, I think we tend to think of things as very top down, but in fact, really elections happen at the local level. So we have to work from the bottom up if we're going to make sure that our democracy has a good structure of support. Yeah, and Kim, my final question for you is, uh, I'm going to give you one final chance to sort of tell me, uh, to describe for me the urgency of the matter and what you're uh, most hopeful for for the future of democracy. Yes, so in terms of the urgency of this, you may have heard Steve Bannon put out a call to a call to action to election denying Republicans to show up at their local precincts and be appointed as precinct officers and to begin um, basically pulling the levers of power where they could to instill election denying people in, in offices um, all over the country. And uh, we at Power of the Vote are incredibly concerned about this trend that Republicans are mobilizing to undermine our elections. We need an effort on the Democratic side to use the resources that we have because the Democratic Party has unique functions to play in election administration, whether that's appointing election board members, election supervisors, poll workers, um, you name it. We have to use that power effectively and ensure that we have the right people in office who are gonna do the right thing. Um, and so it's important to us that we mobilize, that we ensure that these roles get covered and that we fight for these voters. Um, I am hopeful. I think people are talking about this more than they ever have. I've been very, uh, very encouraged by the, the people who are beginning to think differently about our elections and see the importance of this kind of infrastructure support for democracy. And so they're thinking not just about supporting candidates for office, but also finding ways to support these candidates indirectly through supporting this kind of infrastructure, which ultimately will ensure that our elections are administered in a fair and equitable way. So I, I am encouraged by those changes. Yeah, Kim, I have to tell you, I had a delightful time uh, chatting with you about voting rights today. As I told you before this started, I view this is a consequential uh, topic of conversation. And I want to thank you for being here today. But before I do that, I want you to tell the good people if they want to get connected with uh, Power of the Vote. How can they do that? You can find us at powerthevote.org. And you can email us at hello at powerthevote.org. Fantastic. Well, Kim, uh, uh, the state of our democracy is certainly 
in the balance, and I want to thank you for the good work that you do at Power of the Vote and uh, for engaging in conversation with me today about the importance of preserving our democracy. Your time, energy, and efforts on my behalf are most appreciated, and I want to thank you for being here this afternoon. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed our conversation and really appreciate it.